0: Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have had the opportunity to lift up our voices and respond to who you are, to your goodness. God, you are like no other. You are above all creation. You are holy. We thank you that, that we have the chance to respond to your goodness, your love, your mercy, your creation, your truth. And we ask now, God, as we turn to your word that you would stir deep in our minds and ignite in our souls a hunger, a longing, a desire to to both understand what it is that you ask of us, and then the courage and the faith and the ability to obey your word. Father, cause your words to come alive in our hearts and our minds. Now we pray together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for the great opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Brian. Your uh, pastor is a man of great and high integrity and character. And uh, I'm so honored to know him, despite the fact that he called me a seasoned leader, which is code for elderly. And so thank you, Pastor Brian, for uh, inviting me up here and allowing me to break in the new sound system. Somebody say amen. Amen. If you're online, uh, especially want to thank you this morning for dialing in. And, and uh, if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever it is that you use to turn to the scriptures, want to encourage you to follow along both here and uh, in the auditorium and at home as well. There's a fascinating TV show that my wife and I uh, watched a couple of seasons of it, launched in 2010 on the Discovery Channel. It's called Gold Rush. How many of you have ever seen any of these episodes? The the story fascinated my wife and I when it first launched. There was uh, this uh, couple of families, extended families, and friends, and they sold everything they had, mortgaged their house, cashed in all of their four hundred one k and their savings accounts, and, and they moved to Alaska, Porcupine Creek, Alaska in the hopes of finding gold. They had been hearing all these stories about uh, discoveries of of substantial wealth. The problem was they'd never ever mined for gold. They, They didn't know what they were doing. The whole season was about their learning journey, the issues and the struggles and so forth. And every time they bumped into a struggle, the narrator of the show would always remind the audience And they put everything on the line. And if they didn't get this piece of equipment fixed or this problem solved with a code or or a license or whatever, they were busted broke because they bet the farm on everything with the hopes of finding gold. First season, they had 65 million viewers average per show. And I found myself thinking even back then, Have I ever risked everything? Have I ever put everything on the line for a a bet? I remember February 18th, I felt like that. 1985, when I asked Karen Duke to go on the first date with me. I thought, man, I am betting the farm on this one. This cute woman in college... And she said, yes, and we've now been married 33-plus years. I remember risking large sums of money moving from Tennessee, where I grew up, to Chicagoland to go to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I was mortified that I would fail seminary. You know, it's bad if you fail seminary, right? And academically, I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, and I was really, really nervous I remember betting the farmer, feeling like I bet the farm, when I started uh, what at that time was a private uh, counseling agency. I was a a part of a private practice setting when I was a counselor, and I remember getting my first paycheck of $37 thinking, what have I done? These are times when I felt like I bet the farm. Right? I, I bet the career farm, the educational farm, the financial farm, the emotional security farm, I, it's like I thought at the time I was putting it all on the line. In retrospect, maybe not so much. Have you ever been willing to put it all out there for something, something that you wanted, that you thought you needed, or that you craved? Have you ever taken a huge risk, bet the farm, so to speak? Let me ask the question in kind of a a little different way. Have you ever found something worth betting your whole life on? Maybe, maybe here today, some of you are on the edge of making some kind of big decision or a key change in your life that has huge impact. And you know, okay, I'm betting the emotional or the financial or the relational farm. Or maybe just somebody here, Like you need to make a spiritual decision, a commitment to to settle something. There's this pressure in your life and you're wondering, is this the right thing to do? See, here's the deal. There's only a few things in life worth betting the farm on. Jesus teaches us two parables that we're going to look at this morning that... That set up this challenge, this contrast, this what are you willing to put on the line? I called my message Hidden Treasures because that's what Jesus talks about. We're going to look at two parables in Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 13. These two parables are very, very similar, such that some have even called them twins. But there's... That there's a, a difference in them enough that it's worth noting. Uh, I, I'm a father of identical twins that we adopted from Korea, and and to some folks they still can't tell them apart. They're they're 19 years old, but for us as parents, why it's really obvious just the subtle differences. Well, these two parables are like identical twins, very very similar, but if we if we dig in, we'll see the nuance that Jesus intended for his audience in that day. So, two stories, the same point. Let me remind you, a little context reminder. I'm sure Pastor Brian has taught you this over the years as a seasoned pastor. (laughs) That um, when, when you're teaching a parable, when you're looking at parable, parables are a fictional story that really have all kinds of layers, but they're making one point. It's a fictional story that That mimics real life, but it has a primary point that's trying to be driven in, that Jesus wants to make. Lots of the parables that Jesus teaches are to larger audiences, where he's speaking in vague kind of terms to try to entice people to lean in or dig deeper or search. But some parables, like the ones that we're looking at this morning, are actually spoken in private to the disciples. So he's actually, if you look at the larger context of Matthew 13, he's actually explaining a parable that he's just taught to a larger audience, and he's helping the disciples to understand it, and then he's driving it home with these two parables that we're looking at. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, if you have your Bibles, follow along. These are like identical twin parables. So let's take them individually first, and then we'll notice their similarities and their differences. Jesus starts off both of them with uh, the kingdom of heaven is like. And in the first one, he says, it's like a pair, it's, like it's like a hidden treasure found in a field. There's a man out plowing a field. They didn't have banks back in that day or ATMs wouldn't be uncommon if somebody buried some kind of treasure in a secure box or something like that and they might have even forgotten that it was there or lost it or whatever and so here's the guy out he's he's tilling someone else's field he stumbles into a box or a container and in this box or container is some kind of wealth he covers it back up he goes home gets everything he has goes and buys that field so that he can obtain this treasure, this box. Now note the word joy in this parable because it's unique to this first one. In his joy, he went and liquidated everything so that he could have this thing, this treasure that he sought after. He he wanted to enjoy what it was that he had discovered. It was no sacrifice to empty his bank account to to get all the resources he had to buy this field. He's suddenly a wealthy man. He gave up a little to gain an immeasurable amount. That's the point. Parable 2, 45 and 46, the king of heaven is like, again, there's that phrase, it's like a pearl of great value. There's a there's a merchant mariner. He, he's in search of treasure, and he's going out looking for pearls. He's a, a sailor, and for whatever reason, he finds this one pearl. I don't know if it's because of the size of the pearl. See how I'm holding this? It's not that big, but it's a pearl. Whether it's perfect in symmetry or, or whatever, it is the pearl of all pearls. It's, it's beyond beautiful. Beautiful. He sails home. He empties his 401k, goes back, he purchases this area so he can have this pearl. Now, here's here's one of the things we want to note. In the first parable, the person is not looking for treasure. He's plowing a field and he stumbles upon it. In the second parable, he is searching for treasure, but he discovers something that far far exceeds what he thought he might have ever found. You see the similarities? See the the difference? They both have a singular truth. Both of them are making clear that there is something of great treasure which is hidden and then found. They discover this thing which is incalculable. It, It is beyond description in terms of wealth. And what matters most in Jesus' story is that when they find this treasure, they're willing to liquidate everything. They bet the farm. They put it all on the line. It's it's no sacrifice to give everything up to obtain this treasure. This is the motherload of opportunity. Another one of my favorite shows, Antique Roadshow. ARS. I mean, I I don't know why. I can watch them all the time. These people come in with something that they think it might be of value. They're not sure it's old. They picked it up at an antique store or somebody gave it down through the the family line, whatever, and they're meeting with the expert and the expert tells them all that they can about this thing that maybe it was just hanging over the couch. It was some blanket or it was just on a shelf or they put umbrellas in a vase or whatever and they come to discover that this thing is worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And in some ways, I think Jesus is telling a gold rush parable and an antiques roadshow parable you know what I mean so one they're searching for treasure and they find something that far exceeds what they imagined gold and the other that they don't even know what they have but when they when they realize oh my word this thing is unbelievable in value this priceless thing and the parable is worth liquidating everything Now here's the question. What's the treasure? What's the pearl of great value? What's the the hidden treasure in the field? I believe what Jesus is talking about to the disciples there is the treasure is the discovery of salvation by grace through faith. Some wander into it, and discover that which they weren't even necessarily looking for. And others are in search of some kind of meaning, and they come front and center and discover this this life-altering truth that salvation by grace is breathtaking. It changes everything. The treasure is salvation by grace through faith. What does that mean? You and I are born with a sinful nature that inclines us toward running away from God, disobeying Him, being self centered or self absorbed. Every one of us, every one of us is helpless, shackled, shackled to your deathbed, unless somebody or something intervenes. We are deserving of wrath. And just before we receive our death sentence, Jesus declares that you can have life, and not just any old life, but life eternal with relationship to God the Father who created everything. You can have access to intimacy with the God of all creation such that he calls you his son or his daughter. The the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. It's given, it's deposited into our souls. We stand before God by faith, righteous. This is better. It's better than any VIP box at any sporting event, it's better than parenting. It's better than the birth of your first child. It's more beautiful than a diamond ring. And anything else you can imagine, it far exceeds your greatest dream. Everything, everything, everything pales in comparison to the love of God made freely available to any and all who turn to him in faith free and open relationship with God is priceless that is the treasure Christianity uniquely teaches that Jesus takes my punishment for my sin by dying on the cross and through faith he gives me his righteousness when I repent from my sins that I could be called righteous is unbelievable is completely undeserved this is the treasure of great value and it's the cl- it's clear the disciples on that day were just starting to understand it jesus is teaching that salvation by grace alone through faith alone is worth everything let me say it another way with maybe a little bit of a bite because i think the disciples would have heard this parable with a bite. If your salvation does not cause you joy, then something is wrong. You're missing the value of that which you have discovered, or you haven't really discovered salvation by grace through faith. Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. Salvation is the treasure that the Apostle Paul talks about when, when he talks about giving up everything. Listen to Philippians 3 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ what is more i consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord for whose sake i have lost all things i consider them garbage that i may gain christ what's fascinating when you watch those early episodes of gold rush whenever these guys find a little nugget of gold maybe worth three four five hundred dollars at night they build a big bonfire, they're shooting their guns off, they're they're celebrating, it's a great thing. They've discovered this little nugget. Faith alone, and Christ alone, through grace alone, is the greatest treasure that you can ever discover. And it should alter everything about how you feel and live. Now somebody should say Amen. Second key observation, and this has a bite here, is everything is willingly given up to obtain that object of value. The person plowing the field sells everything so that he can buy the field. The, the, The sailor goes and he liquidates everything so he can go and buy this fine pearl. Now, some people get all bent out of shape about this with the parable. Like, is the the farmer, is he like taking advantage of the person who owned the property? No, Jesus is making a main point. The treasure is worth your all. This isn't about purchasing salvation. It's about priority. Matthew chapter 10, and another place where Jesus says the same thing, he just says it unvarnished. He says... Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is radical devotion that Jesus calls for. I have to tell you quite honestly, there were times in my life, in my journey, in my faith... Where I thought following Jesus, like I was giving up all kinds of stuff. And, and God would have to kind of persuade me or remind me. Hey, remember you said you'd follow me wherever I lead. You said you'd go wherever I told you to go. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. I was a fool. I was a fool to think that somehow that which I was giving up was some huge sacrifice. We like to say it this way. Salvation is free, but it costs you everything. It's free by faith, through grace, in Christ alone. But it costs you the priority of everything. And Jesus teaches about the cost of being a disciple. If any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. That's Jesus in Luke chapter 14. 14. It's not about sacrifice, it's about priority. If you don't see him as supremely valuable, you won't embrace this teaching. Jesus calls his followers to simple, radical devotion. A willingness to part with anything or everything if he leads. I love this song by... Jason Upton, he wrote it in 2001, no sacrifice. The words go like this. To you, I give my life, not just the parts I want to. To you, I sacrifice these dreams that I hold on to. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Your words are deeper than mine. Your love is stronger than mine. This is no sacrifice. Here's my life. I often ask myself, what I call what-if questions as a way to try to make sure I'm staying on the front side of this reality. What if God were to call me to cross-cultural missions and abandon the comforts of my life in the United States? Would I freely go? What if God were to call me to sacrificial giving would I gladly live a simpler lifestyle so that I could give more generously as he prompts? What if someone asked me to deny my faith in Christ or die? Would I sing his praises freely, even if it cost me my life? Here, you try it on. What if? What if God called some of you to stay single So you could give larger chunks of your life and energy away for the good of others. Could you willingly embrace that mandate? What if God called some of you out of the marketplace to, to willingly reduce your income so that you could invest in the life of your children in a more significant kind of way? What if God called you to a life of service in the marketplace? leading a nonprofit where maybe you don't make as much money as you could have in some other industry so that you could make a difference in some social issue what if god called you to diminish your investment in hobbies put them on the line so that you could give to some particular unique challenge what if what if what if Chris Tomlin wrote a song, I Will Follow. It goes like this. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Where you who you love, I'll love. Who you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. I have to tell you, I, I, I wished I lived this value out every day, all day long. Sometimes I do well, sometimes I don't. I have to coach myself, I have to preach to myself to make sure that I keep the main thing about my life, the main thing. One of the things that I do in my life is I think about people who model this, who I admire. Brad and Deb Mashburn, who have been friends for 25 years, live in West Africa, Senegal, West Africa. They're uh, missionaries there. My wife and I support them personally. I work with them in their ministry. They both have master's degrees. They're both brilliant. They could easily make well over $200,000 a year. No sweat. And they're giving their lives for a people group that less than 1% have ever even really accurately heard about Jesus. I think about Brad and Deb as friends. Thinking about Tim and Felicia Ryan, they were, they were people in my church. Tim was one of our elders and he owned his own business and his wife owned their own business and they both sold their business and moved down to the Bahamas to serve people with HIV. There was a camp. They had little authority, they had all kinds of relational connections and they gave up their life to invest in people. Forgotten, largely marginalized by the culture. Who do you think about, or who can you think about that can help you say, yeah, I want to stay on the front edge? One of the dreams that we have in Converge Great Lakes is that we would have more churches that would hold this truth high and unapologetically as your church does. Is there something that God could ask you to give up for which you would say no? No. What would he, what would be your response if he asked you to walk away from something or sell or give up, fill in the blank? If you said to God, sorry, I'm not going to do that. Nope. Then you have lost the perspective of the pearl of unspeakable value. The treasure in a field that is worth everything in your joy. You give everything up to obtain that which God gives freely. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. What's fascinating is in the first season of Gold Rush in Porcupine, Alaska, the Hoffman family, which had put everything on the line, had successfully mined only 14.64 ounces of gold. And while they had some ups and downs in season two and three, by season four, they were utterly bankrupt, and they're no longer a part of the show. What are you betting your life on? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this simple teaching from Jesus that cuts across the culture of our day. Oh God, I ask that you would open our eyes. There are some here in this room or maybe online who for the first time really see what Christianity is all about. It's not a religious practice it's not about just going to church or behaving a certain way it's about giving up all that we have and all that we are and surrendering to you by faith so that we can obtain that which we cannot experience any other way life with god the father joy unspeakable for all eternity a life of purpose god help us to see That that which we give up really is no great sacrifice. Cause our joy to intensify. And make this your church that holds that truth high unapologetically for the good of your people and for the good of this area. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen.